Hallelujah. Lord, you're in this place, Lord. We feel you, Lord. We feel you in this place, Lord. Oh, making a way for us, Father. But thank you for showing up. Thank you for letting us feel your presence, letting us know, Lord God, that you are with us, Father, that you are here, that you're in control, Lord. Thank you for sending us your fire, Lord. Lord, your consuming fire that not only consumes in the spirit, but it consumes our minds. When we focus our minds on you, Lord, your fire will consume the thoughts that are against you, the thoughts that, that causes fear and the thoughts that cause denial and the thoughts that, that causes us to, to doubt about the things of you, Father. When we look upon this, this world that we're living in, Lord, I thank you for your fire, your consuming fire, Lord. That when we enter your presence, Lord, that your fire, Lord, just the, the, the realm that the the, the heat from the fire, the spiritual fire, Father, we can feel your presence, Lord. Oh, Lord, as the song says, Lord, cover me with oil. Set me on fire, Lord. I want to burn for you, Lord. I want to burn for you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Man, his presence is so strong in this place. Is it just me, or have you been feeling the presence of the Lord the past couple of weeks or, the, or a month? I know the Lord's wanting to do something. The Lord, I shared this a couple Monday nights ago, the past month or so. You, you may be seated. That I've just been feeling in my spirit. At first, I thought it was for myself, and I believe it was, but I believe it's for the church. That the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me with, with two, two sayings. He's been he's speaking in my spirit. The one is, go back to January. I, I, I knew what that meant. I didn't think it necessarily meant of, of do what we did in January. But what happened in January was a time where, where we humbled ourselves before the Lord. And we, we, we put some things aside and we began just to seek the face of God. We would find ourselves at the, at the church, at the altar. But then we'd find ourselves at our homes and our workplaces just seeking the face of God. 
He said, go back to January. Then he said, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Is it just me or do you feel what I've been feeling that the, that the Lord, he's wanting to tell us something? I feel like that we're so close. We're so close to the fire of God that we're feeling tonight. I believe it's not just because he just wants us to feel the presence of the Lord. When when someone shows up at your house unexpected and they knock on your door and you open the door, it doesn't matter if you know who it is or if you don't know who it is, you know they're there for a reason because their presence near you, you know that they're there for a reason. And when the Lord shows up and his presence is made known like it is tonight, like the Lord has been in our services, the Lord is wanting to do something. His presence is here for a reason. And we had to prepare ourselves and I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I know that through through what the Lord's showing me and showing some others in the church, we brought it to pastor, and I'm sure he'll be speaking about it Sunday. But the Lord spoke with him, and he said, "We're gonna we're gonna do something in in next month, in the month of July, of praying and fasting." And and he's got some instructions of what he feels led that we're we're the where the route that we're supposed to go in. But it's going to be the same thing that the Lord has spoke to us to pray and to fast and seek the face of God because the Lord's wanting to tell us something. How many of you wants to hear what God has to say? I know we have his word. We have the Bible. How many of you need God to speak to some areas in your life, to speak to some situations you may be going through? I believe that he's here. His presence is here. And as long as we continue to do what the Lord tells us to do and make room for him and make our house... You, someone shows up to your door unexpected. Sometimes the first thing goes through your mind is, is my house clean? We need to prepare our hearts and prepare our spiritual bodies for the presence of the Lord to come in so that we can obey the instructions of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I feel his presence so strong. The Lord laid this message on my heart a little while ago. And, and it's one of those things where it's, it's so powerful. And I pray that it, it that it it speaks to you the same way that it did for me. And I, I heard a minister speak on a couple of pieces of this. And when he when he would speak, I came back to Chris and I said, Honey, you gotta you gotta listen to this. You gotta listen to this. And and I went back to two of these stories that he that he had was speaking about, and I began to read the whole story, and there's so much more. As I began to read, it literally was like the have you ever read you, you, your stories in the Bible? You could you you don't even have to read them because you know them you know them so well. But have you ever read one of those stories and all of a sudden the Lord just showed you something that you've never seen before? It just jumped off the page at you, and it wasn't oh wow that's really really good. But it's one of those deep revelation things that you can't hold it in. You got to tell everybody about it. That's what the, that's what happened to me with this, and and I can't hold it in. So tonight I'm gonna. I'm going to tell you about it. It's in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to to Ruth chapter 1. And I picked up one of these parallel Bibles the other day. Of I love King James Version. But I found myself reading a lot of the New Living Translation. And the Christian bookstore, you know, of course, it's it's closing down. I went there the other day, and they, they had two of these left. They were on sale. It was a... One side's a King James and one side is the New Living Translation. I bought one for myself and bought one for my brother Isaac, and I've just been digging deep in it. 
And I'm excited about it because I can flip back and forth while I'm ministering. And, but this translation, when I read it to you, I, I said, God, how do you want me to tell this story? And you can't tell a story no better than the word of God just itself. So I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. So if you have your Bible, just follow along with me. If you find the translations a little bit different, I, I promise you, I'll try my best to read it in a way that it sounds like what you would see a little kid sitting in a chair and, and the teacher reading a story with such enthusiasm that they're just so excited as if they're, they're watching a movie. So if you're with me, Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. And his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ethrotites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And they reached Moab. They settled there. Verse 3 says, then Elimelech died. I know you all know the story, but just follow along. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other married a woman named Ruth. About 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons and her husband. Just, just that alone is enough to, we, we, we read stories from Job and these different people in the Bible that's got some very, that's got some, some sad stories. But when you think of, of, of this story, here's a mother-in-law. I don't know how old she was, but Yet her husband died, and her two sons that were married, they died also. We don't know how they died. The Bible doesn't say, but all I know is that here's this lady that she's left alone with her two daughter-in-laws. And I don't know how you feel about your mother-in-law if you're married. I love my mother-in-law, and I would say, speaking for my wife, I'm sure she loves her mother-in-law too. I would hope you'd be able to say the same thing about your mother-in-law. But there was something about these two daughter-in-laws that, that they, one of them did, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to read the story, but one of them did, it makes you question why. Why did she do this? What, what made her when she had another route? She could have went back and made a whole different life for herself and, and get out of where she was, just start a whole, whole new life over. Continue reading with me. Um, verse, verse 6, it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. You remember they, they started off, Elimelech and, and Naomi started off as, in the famine. After Elimelech and his two sons died, they get word that Judah, where they, where they originally came from, now there's not a famine, there's a feast, there's a harvest. When they heard about this, it says, So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland with her two daughters-in-law, she set out to the place where they had been living. And they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Verse 8 says, But on the way, Naomi said to her, to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye. They all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you and your people. But Naomi replied, 
why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons and, and them grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes. For now I am too old to marry again. Even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Verse 14 says, and again they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back again. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people and your gods will be my God. Whether you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. That's a good daughter-in-law. You have Orpah and you have Ruth, the two daughter-in-laws. And, and now, remember, we just read that both of them said, no, we're not going to leave you. Neither one of us are going to leave you. But then as Naomi, have you ever had someone to tell you something? Kind of, kind of like the same scenario. They say, you, you can go on home. I, I don't need you no more. I got this. I got this. But really down deep, they're really wanting you to stay. But just to be nice, they're, 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 you can go on. And then you, you've got some that will, okay, then it just, airhead, they just, it just, they just keep on going like they, they don't read. Then you've got, you got someone else that they understand that really they're just saying that to be nice, but they really do need me. So I know I've got stuff to do, but I, I'm, I'm going to stay. That's the kind of person that Ruth was, where Naomi said, okay, bye, I'm going to go start my own life. Was that wrong to do? I can't say that it was really wrong to do. I mean, when you look at the story of Ruth and what she did, it would take a lot for someone to do that because the Bible doesn't say that she didn't have family at home. She just made a decision that when I said I do, till death do his part, you know, they say when you get married, you don't just marry your spouse, you marry your in-laws. I guess she actually, someone may have told her that at one time, and she actually took it to heart that, that she was in this till death does her spouse or her in-laws part. She wasn't going to leave. And, and, you know, we can read the rest of the story, and you'll find out that she did not leave. She stayed with, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Let's read verse Okay, so they left. I'm sorry. In, in these times, and I've actually heard that in, in, in Israel today, but back in these times, it was the same way. There were fields of harvest. There were harvest fields that uh, they were owned by people the same way that, that maybe companies or whatever is owned now. But there was a field that's owned by people. And Widows and foreigners, they were allowed to go to a select portion of this field, and they were allowed to, to take crops from this, whatever they needed. It was just for a, a select portion of the field, and select people were allowed to take from, from this field. So that's what their, their only option was, was to do this very thing. So let's, uh, let's go to uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 2. 
One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out to the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by someone who is kind enough to let me do it. So here she goes. We go to verse 5. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I'm skipping everything. Lord, help me. She goes out there. I'm not the greatest storyteller, but I'm trying. I'm really trying. She goes out to the field that day. And as she's picking up the, the little bit, I'm sure she's trying to hide at the same time. She's trying to get the best that she could with what little she, that she has. And then all of a sudden, this man by the name of Boaz just appears to all of, all of the, the workers that are in the field. And he greets them all. How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? Then all of a sudden, now we go to the verse that I was getting ready to read. In verse 5, it says, then Boaz, he, then Boaz asked the foreman, he said, who is that young woman over there? What is, who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came, with, who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if, I could gather, if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work. Verse 8 says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the same water that they drawn from. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to serve, to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Verse 11 says, yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your own mother to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully with what you have done. She goes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and when she walks in, I'm, I'm sure Naomi was just sitting there all day just praying, oh, Lord, let something good happen. Oh, I pray nothing bad happens to her. When she comes in, I could just imagine what happened in that room. Naomi said, what happened? What happened? And, and I'm sure Ruth, before she can even ask, she was already getting, getting it out, telling her the story, telling her what happened. You're not going to believe this. I, I went, and then all of a sudden, out of, out of nowhere, this, this man who was the owner of the field, he came up, and, and he greeted us, and he was so nice. And then Naomi says, what, do you remember what his name was? Uh, Boaz, Boaz. And then something triggered in Naomi's mind. She remembered that name, Boaz. And, and, and she says, wait a minute. This is my, my take on, on, on the scripture. She says, wait a minute. I remember my husband, Elimelech, talking about him. He's one of his close relatives. I believe he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. We, we, we need to reach out to him. We need to reach out to him. So if you, if you there, I'm, 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 I'm skipping in between each. There's so much more to this. But here's what, here's what Naomi says. She says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go clean up, put some perfume on, get yourself all cleaned up, and I want you to go back out and go to the threshing floor where you see that Boaz will be working. 
And when you, when you get to where he is, don't let him see you. But I want you to watch him when he goes back to his place. And I want you to sneak in there also. Don't let no one see you. And whenever he lays down to go to sleep, I want you to go to the front of his bed. I want you to uncover his feet. I want you to lay there and don't say a word. When he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. That's exactly what she did. I, I couldn't, I, I, that, I mean, that's, it kind of reminds you of the story of Esther, but of what, what, what happened with her. But this is something that when, when he woke up, the Bible says that the first thing that he said was, who are you? I'm sure it scared him. I'm sure he was frightened. He would start, who are you? And when she began to tell him, I'm Ruth, I, I'm, I'm the, the lady that you, you came up and asked who I was. And she began to tell him who she was and all about her. And the Bible goes on to say that he said, he explained to her that, yes, I am a relative of your father's. I am one of the kinsmen redeemers. He said, but there is someone that's actually closer related to you than I am. Because, see, what happened was Naomi, she had told Ruth, you need to go back to him. You need to get in touch with him because he's, he's our kinsman redeemer. And I want to explain to you what a kinsman redeemer is. It is a person that will be able to redeem the land. He would be able to hold, I guess you could say, a key to what was once taken from them. He's a restorer. And, they, and, and Naomi said, you need to go to him because he is going to be the person that's going to help us to get the things that we need and for our inheritance all to be restored. When she began to speak this, when Ruth began to speak this to Boaz, he said, yes, you're, you're exactly right. But you got to understand there's somebody that is closer related to you than I am. He said, let me go find him. Now, stay, stay with me. Let me go find him, and I will talk to him for you, and I will explain to, you, to him the situation. So the Bible goes on to say that days pass, and then all of a sudden Boaz runs into this man, this no-name man. The Bible doesn't give his name. He's a, he's a no-name man. And he says, hey, buddy, i got to tell you something. I ran into someone. Do you, you know your relative, Elimelech? Yes. Well, you know, he died, his sons died, and now his, his wife and his daughter-in-law is here, and they have land that needs to be claimed. They have things that's it's theirs, but they can't, they can't get to it because their, their heir, their, the way for them to get to it was through their husband or through a, a child, through either Ruth or Orpah to have a child. That would they that through that child they were able to claim their inheritance. And he's explaining to this and he says, Now, but you are, I thought I may be the kinsman redeemer, but you are actually the kinsman redeemer. So I can't help them. I want to, I can't help them. So I'm coming to you. He says, Okay, okay, I, I guess I can do this. What, what, what do I need to do? How much is it gonna cost? What do I need to do? Yeah, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. So, so what, what, all, what all do I get? What all do I get? And, and so here comes Naomi. They, they, they hear of the story. Then all of a sudden, again, I'm kind of piecing this together. When he agrees to be the kinsman redeemer to restore the heritage, to restore 
what was rightfully theirs, he said, I'll do it. And then Boaz says, oh, there's one more thing. There's one more thing I forgot to tell you. In order for you to be the kinsman redeemer, you can't just pay what you need to pay or do your, do your dues. It actually consists of your sandal, removing sandal. But he says, you have to marry Ruth. And instantly he said, I'm out. No deal. No deal. I want you to remember that part of the story. I told you every bit of that part of Ruth just, just to get you to that part of the story. He said, I'm out. She's yours, Boaz. You are the you you can be the kinsman redeemer because I choose not to be the kinsman redeemer. So Boaz says, okay. He goes back and he tells Ruth that the the next in kin, he chose not to help you. He chose not to marry you. And for that reason, he said, He's out and I'm here for you. I will be your kinsman redeemer. I will go above and beyond for you. I will marry you, and we will have a child together, and we will be able to claim that once was that which once was yours. Now you will be able to, your family will be able to receive. So he marries her, and I'm gonna, I want to stop that part of the story right there. You can go in and read more. But there was, at the end of the book of Ruth, in chapter 4, Verse 12, it says, And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. I read that, and I'm like, what does that have to do with, with this story? It's kind of like a prophecy that was given that, that your ancestors will be like these Perez and Judah, their ancestors. And I was like, I want to look this up. I want to see what, what this has to do with, with their story. See, if, see, why is it here? Let's look it up. So I began to look it up. And in Genesis 38, it tells the story of a man named Judas. He had a son named Ur. And Ur married a woman named Tamar. Now, I want you, this is, I'm trying to try to make this simple for you to understand, but don't forget the, the end of the story that I just told you. Ur, Judah had a son named Ur. Ur married this woman named Tamar. And the Bible says in Genesis that he was a wicked man and God killed him because of his wickedness. Okay. So here is a wife. And go back to the kinsman redeemer of, of, of this part of the story. You have the law was if a husband dies, that whoever the next oldest brother, if he's not married, he is to marry his brother's wife. His name was Onan. So Ur is the one that died. Onan is next in line. And he has no option. as law that he has to marry Tamar to become the kinsman redeemer. Now listen, listen really carefully what I'm going to tell you. 
there was an inheritance for them to receive. There were things that Tamar was after because she was not married to to err long enough to have a child for her to receive the things that, that were there, rightfully theirs. So she gets married to Onan, and the only thing on her mind is we have to have a child so that we can receive what is rightfully ours. I want you to listen very, very careful to this. chapter 38 of Genesis, verse 6, it says, In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, go and marry Tamar. As our law requires of the brother of a man who has died, you must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. Verse 10 says, But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. Okay. I skipped a little bit right there. You're more than welcome to go back and read it. I'm just not going to read it while I'm up here. Because it gives exact detail of, of what happened. And this is what I got from this. I hope this is something you never forget because I will never forget this. He married her, but he did not want to have any children with her because he wanted his own heir. He didn't want his brothers. So he's married. I'm sure he loves marriage life. And again, then between that scripture, you can kind of, if you read it on your own, you'll kind of understand where I'm going at with this. He enjoys the pleasure of being married and all that he's entitled to with his wife, but he chooses not to have children with his brother's who died's wife because he wanted his own thing. Watch this. When I heard this and when I began to read this, this is what the Lord showed me. There are people that are Christians, and they do everything that the appearance of what a Christian is supposed to do. They tell everybody they love the Lord. They tell, they tell are you a Christian? They're the first ones that raise their hands. They're always at the altar. They're always doing everything that they, that, that the outside appearance of what a Christian is supposed to be, they do it and they do it very, very good. But when it comes time for that person to 
be at a place when the Lord is speaking directly to them to do something that requires them to sow a seed into something and wait for a harvest that they have to wait for. That a part of their inheritance, spiritual inheritance, would, would now come from, they back off. When it's time to sow a seed, no matter what it is, when God tells them to do something that, that they just they don't want to do it, they're in it for the pleasure, the same way that he was. He enjoyed the pleasure of being married, but when it came time to sow a seed to have a child, he didn't want nothing to do with it. He pushed off, he backed away. He didn't want nothing to do with it because all he wanted was his own possessions, his own things that would make him look good, that would make people talk about him, that would make his, his head get bigger. And the, the thing that God would call someone to do to step out and do something that would require a sacrifice, not just a sacrifice of, of money or giving something up and just let it, let it sit and let it do its own thing and come back later and see if it grows. No, this type of sacrifice is something that you, you're in it just like marriage. You're in it until you die. When God, when there, everyone in here, when you, you'll get to a place where God will speak to you the same thing as marriage. There's something that I'm calling you to do, my son. There's something I'm calling you to do, my daughter. But this is going to take something that you're going to have to give everything to this thing. Because if not, this seed's going to die. And you will not be able to receive the thing that I have promised you. You will not be able to, you will not be able to, to see fulfilled your inheritance. Onan. His Let's go, back to the, let's go back to the first story, the man with no name that I told you to remember, the man with no name, that he was the person that was the closest kinsman redeemer to Ruth. What did he say? I'm, okay, let's, let's, what am I going to get from this? What am I going to get from this? What is going to be my reward? And he was, all he was seeing was dollar signs. All he was seeing was things that he could benefit from, things that his family can benefit from. But whenever he found out for him to be able to receive those things, he had to marry Ruth. He backed off. He didn't want nothing to do with it. The only thing different in this story was God didn't kill that man. But God killed Onan because of his wickedness. Is it, is it not of God or is it of God if God tells you to do something and you don't do it? Is that godly or is that wickedness? I'm not saying God's going to kill you. But look what you, you, you will not be able to receive the fullness of God through this message. That is what the Lord spoke to me. First of all, that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one that's able to restore that which has been taken from you, that which that you were headed to, and all of a sudden there became a stop, whether it was death or whatever it was, and, and now you're not able to access that which is rightfully yours. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and he became our kinsman redeemer two ways. He actually, he became the title of him being our kinsman redeemer is what he did at the cross. But our entitlement of receiving that is when we give our hearts to Jesus. And then we are allowed through him, all we got to do is just be who, be, be a Christian 
and be it the best that we possibly can. And through that, we would be able to walk in places Adam, think of this. We, we hear, when we think of Adam and Eve, when, not Eve, but when we think of Adam, we, we, the first thing you think of is he ate of the fruit. When people study Adam, they think of Adam after the fall, after they ate of the fruit. But if you look at Adam and you study Adam of who he was and how Adam was given. Listen to me closely. Adam was given something that through the authority, through God, gave him the authority to be able to possess anything. That he governed the everything, not just the world. He governed everything. If whatever he was to say to the animals, they had to do. If, 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 if whatever he was to say, they, he, was, he was the governor over the entire world at that time. And, and I've heard it say that, and this, this, is, this is so true, people ask, well, man, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have ate of that fruit, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Let me tell you, what Adam should have done was because he had authority when Eve came back and told him what she did, how she ate of the fruit, Adam should have went straight up to that tree without touching it, went right to that serpent, because the God had given him authority. He should have commanded that serpent to flee. He should have done. There wasn't death until after they ate of it. But the moment that she ate of it, then there was, their eyes were open, or at least her eye was open yet. His may not been, but he had authority to curse that snake to that serpent. He said, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, when you and I become children of God through salvation, we are brought back to, I guess you can say, the second Adam. Where through he that's inside of us, he has given us authority. When the earth was created, how was it created? It was created when God said, let there be. Or when God said, let there be. When God spoke this through God's voice, when he spoke it, nature, it had to happen. And you and I as children of God should reflect the image of God so that when we see sickness, and this, and this might go, this might be a little extreme. You might not be able to grasp this, but this is just like Sister Terry said the other day. God is good and the devil is bad, right? God is good. The devil is bad. God is good and cancer is, God is good and leukemia is, God is good. And the devil is bad. When you hear of things, there is, we should be at a place where we have such of God in us, such the word of God inside of us. Because when we have the word living in us, it comes with authority. We're able to walk in authority. 
and we should we should get to a place where we should be able to go to something that is not good, which is of not of God. And when God said, let there be light, there was light. When God spoke and animals were formed and God spoke and, and the sun and the moon and the stars, the land that we live on, it's confused. Because all it knows is that it was created by God's voice. And it knows to have submission. I hope this isn't over your head. It knows to have submission to the voice of God because of the authority that it's spoken with. And I'm not saying that we are God. I'm not saying that. But you and I as children of God, the Lord inside of us should be at a place where we're walking in the word of God so that when we get to a place where we see sickness or we see something that is not good because we just stated that cancer is not good. Some people say, I believe that, that um, the Lord allowed my wife to have cancer because it, and, and, and she's going to get healed. But I believe that the Lord allowed her to have cancer because it, 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 he's going to work through that. And, and it just gave us, it, the Lord moved in a different way to open our eyes. No, no. Cancer is not of God. Sickness is not of God. So we should be at a place where the word of God in us, we're able to walk in the authority that we could speak to these things and they have to listen, not because of me, not because of you, but because of he that lives inside of us. Because this sickness, the things of this world that, that are the only thing that these things know is the voice of God in the beginning when God said, let there be. And again, I'm not saying that we're God, but what I'm saying is we, the Lord is calling us to a place. I'm sick of not understanding why cancer, why we can't pray for cancer and it go away. Although the Bible says that it should. I'm sick and tired of sicknesses and things that, struggles that we face. I'm sick of, of, of my thought going to, well, maybe the Lord's allowing it to happen for a certain reason. No, God is not in bad. So through he that's inside of us, his word that is alive inside of us, for us to be like Boaz, to say, yes. Yes, Lord, what do you have for me? It doesn't matter if I got to quit my job. It doesn't matter if I got to move. It doesn't matter what it is, God, when you speak to me. Because if, think of this for a second. I'll get right close. If the Lord spoke to you right now and told you you have to quit your job and move to Alaska, would you, would you think twice about it? Yeah, I would. It'd be hard not to. Unless God physically came to me and said, We should be at a place. Sister Terry said this again, and now I'm trying to close. I'm trying to close. I just, I got to get this out. The Lord 
is calling us to be like him. There was a, there was a time that Jesus, people came to Jesus, one of the disciples came to Jesus, and, and they asked him of something, and he pretty much said, no, you do it. You do it. And they think, well, how am I supposed to do it? You're Jesus. How are we supposed to do it? Are we willing to sacrifice everything for when God says, get up and go, get up and go? Do we really want to be able to walk and have the authority that God had when he spoke to the mountains to be formed, when he spoke for things that weren't there to appear? Are we, are we really at a place where we're willing to give up? Like, unlike the kinsman redeemer that was supposed to be, or unlike Onan, all he wanted was, was the fun of it, the pleasure of it. He wasn't willing to sell out for what the law was supposed to be. And the word of God is speaking to us. That's why we're feeling the presence of God so strong. That's why the Lord is calling us into fasting and calling us into a time of prayer because he's trying to speak to us to get us to a place, whether it's at the altar or wherever it may be, so that when God tells us something, that we'll get to a place where we won't even think twice about it, that we will just, okay, God, you make a way. You make a way, God, and I will make it happen. I will make it happen. When we get to a place where we're willing to say yes to God, then our faith will be strengthened. Then the word of God that's on these pages will become alive in our heart. Then we'll be able to walk in the authority that God has promised us, that if we are to walk in, that he will give us that authority, that when we lay hands on the sick, that they shall recover because of the authority of the word of God that's inside of us. I'm closing with this. The Lord spoke to me, and I shared this with them, that the church is filled with many people that have vessels. You know, the Bible says that he will fill you, fill you up, fill up your cup, not just full, but overflow. How many of you ever experienced overflow? I've experienced overflow. This is what the Lord showed me. He said, there are people that they allow me to fill their cup up to overflow, but by the time they get to the person that I put in their path to be able to speak to, to pour into, all they got in their cup left is just enough for them to survive. They don't have enough to pour into someone else. And here's why. He said, because their vessels have cracks in them. That they're leaking vessels. They're leaking out. You wonder, you wonder why you go from Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday and you feel so drained spiritually? You have a leaking vessel. And God is calling us to a time of praying and fasting. And how your vessel is to be restored, it's through praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. Your vessel be, will be restored. So you will be able to contain the things of God. God said, I want to tell you something. I believe he hasn't told us yet what it is because our vessels isn't it, can, can hold it. It can't hold it. But if we allow this next month 
If you've never done it before, I highly encourage you. I've never experienced nothing like it in my life, what happened January. I'll never be the same because of what came out of that. There are things that we prayed for in January that we have seen results of it. When, when Jesus casted out the demons and, and the disciples said, how did you do that? And he said it's through praying and fasting. And yeah, but Jesus had never fasted before. He, the Bible doesn't say Jesus fasted for, at that moment, for instantly at that moment for that man. But when you fast and when you pray, all of that spiritual energy is stored up in, a, in your vessel so that when you get to a place where there is someone that comes amongst you that is possessed by the devil, you can speak to that and command it to leave. And it has to because of what is stored up inside your vessel. So tonight at the altar call, you, you, I don't got to tell you what to come up here for. I don't have to tell you. I've never in my life, the Lord has never gave me a message like this ever in my life. But I know that it's for this time. It's for this hour. I wouldn't say it's for this church, but I believe it's for the, all churches because it's time for our church to, to cultivate, cultivate the ground. Cultivate so that when people come in, they will hear things that, that didn't make sense 20 years ago, but it now begins to make sense. I'll say this, and I promise you, this is the last thing I want to say besides praying. And I've said this before. Years ago, at the beginning of the church, let's just say the day of Pentecost when they were in the upper room, did they give an altar call for the sinners to come? No. The beginning church, the early churches, does the word say that, that, that they gave altar calls for the sinners to come? They they go oh, come out here come to come to the temple come to church with us no because that's not what that's not what the church was for the church wasn't a place for sinners to come in and then they the, the preacher preaches a, a message on salvation and they get saved that's not what it was for the church was for the believers you and me to come together and us to be able to feed off of each other us to be strengthening one another so that. Did you ever hear where Jesus was in the church? Where was Jesus? Jesus was outside of the church telling him about giving their heart to God. That's what you and I are called to do. That's why our vessels need to be fixed and full so when we go out, we pray, God, bring them in the church, God, so they can get saved. Bring them in the church so they can get saved. That's Yes, it happens. Yes, that's great when it happens. We pray for that all the time. But that's not the will of God for the only way for someone to get saved is through them coming to church. No. That is why it's so important for you and me in these days that we're living in to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just stand with me. Yes, Lord. Because you see that Ruth the land that she used to walk on that she first went out to the to the field, to the crops, just to that certain piece, she now owns every bit of it. There are things that's got your name on it. 
there are provision for you that God already has your name on it. But you got to be willing to give up everything, 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 and surrender it all to God. These altars are open.